Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Jim Davis on why millions of people in the U.S. have left church and aren't returning. Forty million adult Americans in our study used to go to church regularly and don't go less than once per year now. Um, Largely, most of this is happening in the past 25 to 30 years, these 40 million. Uh, That 40 million breaks up into about 20 million of those people are mainline and Catholic. About 15 million are evangelical, and then you have 5 million that would be outside of Orthodox Christianity. Jim Davis, next on His People. Pastor Jim Davis says we are experiencing the largest and fastest religious shift in U.S. history. That is, tens of millions of people leaving church and not returning. He and co-authors Michael Graham and Roger Burge help us to understand this troubling trend in their new book, The Great Dechurching. Who's leaving? Why are they going? And what will it take to bring them back? Jim Davis pastors Orlando Grace Church in Florida. Pastor Davis, how did dechurching come to your attention and how do you define it? So it really started as an Orlando project. We live in Orlando, Florida, and we kind of doing our cultural exegesis. So we know about biblical exegesis, but exegeting our culture. And there was a study that Barna produced. I think the data was from 2017, but it came out in 2018 that said that 42% of the Orlando metropolitan area, which is actually stretches a pretty wide area, but 42% used to go to church and no longer does, Mm. which meant that's about 2 million people. And it began to make sense. Most of the people we interacted with who didn't go to church used to go to church. And then they said that we had the same percentage of evangelicals as New York City and Seattle. And we began to think, well, we if Orlando feels so different than Orlando, than New York City and Seattle, and that's when it began to click. Our people aren't unchurched the way New York City and Seattle are. They did used to go to church. Many of them carry with them biblical values. Some are some seem to be Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we we said there's a difference then in the difference we didn't coin the term, but uh, we began to use the term dechurched. So that's that's really how we began to be interested in it. Uh, and of course, it developed into a lot more. So 42%, I think you said, of people that used to attend church in Orlando no longer do. What's interesting, and, and many people may not notice or may not be aware of this, but you uh, point out uh, in the book that uh, Orlando uh, really, in recent years, recent decades, has become something, I think you call it, a, of a Christian mecca. Many ministries have relocated there. Maybe it's a little bit like Colorado Springs, but can you tell us anything? Yeah, about- it, it, you know, in the 90s and early 2000s, it looked like it was going to become a Christian Mecca. You, We had the second largest mainline church in the nation, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. We had Joel Hunter pastoring 20,000 people and doing all kinds of things in the in the non-denominational space. The magic players were getting baptized. Benny Hinn was down the road. Paula White, you had Reformed Theological Seminary moved here, and Campus Crusade, Wycliffe, Pioneer, Ligonier, all of the, didn't, whatever stream you're in, it felt like something was going well. And then you fast forward to now, and we have the same percentage of evangelicals as New York City and Seattle, and it just, it's mind-boggling how fast things can change. Well, tell us a little bit about the research that went into the book and, and, and why you feel that the situation is urgent. You, you, um, 
uh, contacted some people that are really good at this kind of thing. Yeah, so we want we just wanted to read more research. We, we, we weren't necessarily looking to produce it, but we realized it's not out there, that there wasn't anything out there. And we had the notion that that we could be in the largest and fastest religious shift in the history of our country. Uh, of course, we're not social scientists. We can't prove that. And we wanted to wanted to learn more. We knew this wasn't just an Orlando phenomenon. So we got in touch with Ryan, Dr. Ryan Burge. He's a Christian. He's a social scientist. He is the guy. If you want to follow this kind of thing, he has a substack that is amazing. He's a lot, he wrote, wrote the book, The Nuns. But hmm. we contacted him and we commissioned the the most comprehensive nationwide academically peer-reviewed study on de-churching that has ever happened. Uh, Dr. Paul Jupe, another social scientist, got involved and helped us in some areas of this. And so we had over 7,000 participants, 600 data points of over three phases of study, if any of your listeners care more about the, the that part of it. But we defined a de-churched person in our study as someone who used to go to church regularly and now goes less than one time per year. So if someone only goes on Easter. That's all they do. They're still considered churched. So, so wow. the problem is probably even bigger than, than our study shows because we're trying to be as conservative as possible. But we did prove that we are, in fact, in the largest and fastest religious shift in the history of our country. And, and there were, were some other big shifts. I mean, uh, the, what was it? Uh, maybe you could just quickly, I think it was going the other way, where the largest church growth happened. Yeah, so so the, the previous largest shift was the 25 years post-Civil War. You know, it, when you go back into 1776, maybe about 17% of our population went to a church, went to church regularly. Uh, it was it was a low percentage. I, I'll admit, obviously, people are out in the country and everybody doesn't have access to churches, but it, it was a low percentage. And then in the wake of the Second Great Awakening and the Civil War and immigration, uh, the 25 years after the Civil War was, I think it was about 12, I think it was 11% of the country um, began to go to church who didn't go to church. I'd have to go back and look at the numbers, but that's not far off. Um, so you fast forward to where we are now in the past 25 years, we have seen a shift 25% times greater than that, just going the opposite direction, not going back to church or to church for the first time, but leaving church. So that's the percentage. If you want to look at numbers, because we're a much larger country now, uh, what we're seeing is, in terms of numbers, is larger than the first Great Awakening, the second Great Awakening, and all the Billy Graham Crusades combined, just going the opposite direction. Mm. Well, the book is The Great Dechurching. Who's leaving? Why are they going? And what will it take to bring them back? My guest is uh, Pastor Jim Davis of Orlando Grace Church. Uh, he's the co-author, along with Michael Graham and Ryan Burge, uh, of this book. And so, there are a lot of uh, big questions to ask you, but one is, how big is this problem? I, I think, I mean, how yeah. many are, are missing? So, yeah, in, so in terms of numbers, that, that's helpful. 40 million adult Americans in our study used to go to church regularly and don't go less than once per year now. Um, largely, most of this is happening in the past 25 to 30 years, these 40 million. Uh, that 40 million breaks up into about... 20 million of those people are mainline and Catholic, about 15 million are evangelical, and then you have 5 million that would be outside of Orthodox Christianity.
Okay. And, and some of the factors that, that are causing this, I think a lot of people are thinking, well, sure, we just had the pandemic and everybody was staying home and, and, and watching church online. And I, obviously some people thought, well, this, this, this is kind of nice, actually. Um, and it changed the, I think the phrase you use, changed the Sunday morning or Sunday rhythms uh, mm. to incorporate maybe other things or maybe make the church, since it's online, maybe a little bit more flexible in terms of when you plug in. Well, while COVID certainly had an impact, we can't yet, we can't actually statistically prove that yet. Anecdotally, we can, um, but really what's going on started back in the 90s. Mm. And so the type of person that has de-churched from the 90s to now has shifted. In the 90s, the people who were de-churching were more on the secular left, more mainline, more Roman Catholic. Now people are de-churching on the secular right at twice the pace of the secular left, de-churching out of more evangelical uh, expressions of the church. Uh, one other thing that we really, we wanted to engage and we did, if you, if you just listen to Twitter, you know, social media pundits in the New York Times, you would think that everybody who's leaving the church is doing so deconstructing, you know, hating the church or not Christians anymore. But really, we found that that's not the case. 51% of de-churched evangelicals are willing to come back today. The number one reason for de-churching in America was, I moved. Really? So, so about, tw- about 10 million of the 40 million um, they did have a very, they left the church very intentionally. They, and we don't want to minimize that. We call those the de-churched casualties, but 30 million left more unintentionally. They de-churched casually. And so, you know, it's, it's the, we developed different profiles based on this data using uh, machine learning algorithms to, to go comb through this and combine common answers. But what we saw it was there, there are about five different uh, profiles that help us to understand that the church people are not monolithic, and we want to get better at knowing who it is we're engaging with. Well, I'd like to ask you about those if I could. Uh, one, yeah. one of the first group I think uh, you call cultural Christians, there's even been a book written by Dean and Sarah, I believe it is, uh, called Cultural Christianity, where he really analyzes this, this, this particular group. Yeah, he's up in Tallahassee at my alma mater, Florida State. Um, yeah, so some of the terms we used, we did not create, some we did create, but, but with cultural Christianity, it was already such a good term and it made sense. So in, when we did our phase three and we dove into evangelicalism specifically, about 8 million of the 50 million, uh, largely white, more male than female, this is a group that probably they were never Christians in the first place. Mm. They, they casually de-church. They still have a positive feeling towards the Christian church. They don't have any animosity largely towards the Christian church, towards the evangelical church in specific. But when we measure their orthodoxy scores, these 8 million people who de-church casually, have no pain point, think positively of the church, only 1% of them would say that Jesus is the Son of God. Oh. So, you know, we measured orthodoxy scores based on basic Nicene Creed Christianity, and they scored very low. And it just, you know, Jesus said in the parable of the weeds and the wheat, there will be some who look like they're in their kingdom, and they are not. And and that feels like this group of cultural Christians, that's what they are. Well, the next group they is— They still identify most of them as Christians. Right. If you ask them or if they check a box on a— Right. On a survey or whatever, they would check Christian. Well, the next one, you've talked a little bit about them, the de-churched mainstream evangelicals, if you will. And I think um, you point out in your book, interestingly enough, even though this this means a group that is left church, that is de-churched, they still are mostly orthodox in their beliefs. 
Yeah, this was a really fascinating and encouraging group of people. So this is about 2.5 million people. They left evangelical churches. They look a lot like the first group in many ways. They're largely white. They're more female than male. That's the, that's a difference. Hmm. Um, they de-churched casually, but 100% of them are willing to come back today. 100%. Their orthodoxy scores are higher than those who still go to church. <laughs> so I, th I think it's like 98% of this group believes that Jesus is the son of God. And so this is by these people have dechurched more recently. These would be the groups that were more affected by COVID, um, uh, life transitions, COVID, online church, things like that. Uh, I mean, you know, online church. See my air quotes. Yes, I but see. <laughs> but you know that this group really all they need is a nudge. They it seems like the Holy Spirit is working in them. They know that they should come back. They need somebody to come uh, and invite them. That's amazing. One hundred percent of this group. hundred percent of this group is willing to come back today. The next group, as you say, there are five profiles of, of the unchurched, uh, and this is in your book, The Great Dechurching. The next is called ex-evangelicals, people that have... What? Yeah. So this is a term we obviously borrowed, but uh, hoping to give more definition to it in the process, because there are a lot of terms, ex-evangelical, deconstruction, whatever. They, they're very unhelpful terms because they lack definition. So here we're trying to give more definition. Um, this group did leave intentionally. They left with a pain point. Mm. Um, this group, uh, it, the, the thing that was so surprising to us about this group, though, is they are still also largely orthodox. While it appears they left the church very intentionally, they didn't, most, for the most part, they didn't leave the faith. And so they're willing to come back to uh, probably some sort of non-evangelical expression of the church, but they are largely done with evangelicalism in, as they're communicating to us today. Oh, that's interesting. I, so they're willing to come back to a non-evangelical Yeah, you know, you have some, um, you know, an example here in Orlando, our Episcopal diocese is actually pretty conservative. I mean, we have some differences, my, but one of my really good friends is the bishop here, and they, they believe the gospel, they believe in the inerrancy of the Bible, uh, but they're a mainline church. Mm -hmm. And so, that, you know, that would be a kind of church that they would connect to there you know that you have black protestantism there are some home church movements some some things that are are different than what we have what we call white evangelicalism that's not like a you know it's more of a sociological term than it is not trying to be right inflammatory you know it's, it's a sociological <laughs> term <laughs> mm -hmm. well another of these profiles there's a five in all the de-churched bipoc the black indigenous people of color yeah, so BIPOC is a is is a term that's been used. Black Indigenous people of color. It was we named it this because we did not allow the algorithm to see race. We hid race from it as a factor, and still it came up with a group that was zero percent white. Hmm. And so it uh, this group dechurched earlier. They would look more theologically like the cultural Christians. Um, which a, a real question this raises in my mind is this group dechurched about 20 years ago. Um, and so you have the sociological categories of belief, belong, and behave. And in, in typically, uh, behavior shifts first, then belonging, then belief. Hmm. And so it'd be really interesting to do a study on the BIPOC group and what their belief was 20 years ago when they left the church. And if over time that shifted, we don't know the answer to that. But this group, also interesting, they they have more education and more income than any of the other groups. Uh, largely African-American male. They've done very well in life. Um, and they probably left 
the church again about 20 years ago, probably right after they finished their studies and starting their career. Mm-hmm. It's sort of parenthetically here that you also point out in your book that the more educated people are, the more likely they are to attend church. And I think most people think, wait a minute, I thought I thought it was the, the, the blue-collar folks that were most likely, and as you get more educated, you get more secular, you get more likely to be... Yeah, know. this was really interesting. In ev- This part of the study was done on evangelicals. With evangelicals, um, the more education you have, the more, the more likely you are to continue to go to church. So this goes after the the boogeyman of higher secular education, taking our kids away. Only uh, 3% of evangelicals with master's degrees have de-churched. Hmm. So it's it's overwhelmingly, uh, Ryan Burge has actually done more studies on this. If you you Google Ryan Burge education and Christianity, you're going to get a lot of good, solid research on it. But that is absolutely the case. Well, talking about the profiles of the unchurched in your book, The Great Dechurching, the fifth one is the dechurched mainline Protestants and Catholics. And I, th- I think that may, especially the dechurched uh, Protestant mainline, may make a lot of sense to people because they've seen uh, some of them have, have really been shrinking dramatically over the past several decades. Yeah, so we lumped mainline and Roman Catholics together because they look almost the same. They, they dechurched in the 90s more from the—like, they, they started— earlier, more from the secular left. The only real difference, unsurprisingly, Roman Catholic de-church people have been more impacted by scandals mm-hmm. than mainline mainline counterparts, but that's really one of the big differences. Um, we, It's worth saying that, you know, sociologists, and I am not a sociologist or a, science, or a social scientist, I'm learning that part of this. I'm a pastor engaging with this, but, um, you know, there's a big blip. This really starts in the 90s, but Anytime you have a sociological blip, it's not really starting there. Something has been happening for a long time. And, and we can dive into that with the mainline church. It's probably a, a time, another discussion. But in the 90s, the inflection point um, was first the fall of the Soviet Union. That was a big deal. Be- before the fall of the Soviet Union during the Cold War, to be American was to be Christian. Those were synonymous terms. It was under the Eisenhower administration when we got in God We Trust uh, and under God, you know, on our money and pledge uh, pledges. But when the Soviet Union fell, there was freedom to be an American, but not a Christian. I, I don't know if you're old enough. I am to remember if, when I was a kid, if somebody said, I'm no longer a Christian, it wasn't uncommon for the next question to be, well, are you a communist? <laughs> now there's freedom very quickly. 1994, internet cafes are about internet. Internet by 97 is in schools and libraries. You can engage with other worldviews more easily. You have the rise of uh, some political right things that um, that make some people feel like, well, if that's what Christianity is, I'm out. Yep. And I'm gonna qualify that in just a second. But then you finish the decade more or less with 9-11. And so over, I mean, historically speaking, overnight, our enemies go from being the godless Soviet atheists to religious fundamentalists. And other people saying, well, that's what religion does. I'm out. Largely in the 90s, our hunch, we can't prove this, but our hunch is that the people who really were already not Christians were finding excuses to be public with that. So these five uh, groups, these profiles of the unchurched, you're just pointing out that to, to some extent, well, you, to a couple of the categories at least, uh, they, they may simply just not be believers. They may have attached themselves to these bodies for who, all kinds of other reasons, but maybe it's not actually faith. 
I, absolutely. For, for a lot of them, for millions of them, they, they weren't Christians and that's becoming clear. There's no, we don't have the societal benefits that we, there's not, there's not pressure to be Christian anymore. Now, I think some of that is positive. You know, it's painful to see people not go to church, but the truth is our friend. A good look in the mirror is our friend. What, what to me, what is a little more, uh, what connects to my heart a little more are Christians who are not going to church. And you know, statistically speaking, the children of the de-churched will be unchurched. And so there really is a generational opportunity. Our goal is not just to get people in the pews and get money. The goal is to impact generations for Christ. And so it is imperative that we as a church engage Christians who aren't a part of the, the the body that they were called into and baptized into, and through discipleship, help them realize why it is that, that they need to be a part of the body and the body needs them. And that's part of your exhortation, I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit, to church leaders, I think is to focus on Bible teaching, to focus on discipleship. Those are, that's a big part of it. I mean, we, we, we see that, that Churches that hold on to the historic gospel are doing better than those who are not. Um, you know, we talk a little bit about in the book about we're you know if you if you talk to Christians and I don't know what these ages are and and this is Trevin Wax has done some of this work too in places that he's written and spoken. So we have different ideas of what America is and its association to religion. Americans, evangelical specifically over a certain age, would relate the U.S. more with Israel in the way that they understand God's interaction with it. Evangelicals under a certain age are going to swing the other way and see it as Babylon. So there's a big difference between the way older Christians and younger Christians. I think they're both have some things that are right and both have some things that are wrong. I, I don't think we can make the case that the church has the you know, the, the, our country has the kind of relationship that God did with Israel. There's no covenant. But we also, I think to swing all the way to Babylon, we're not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. We do have some agency that they did not have. But I do think we need to be discipling the church to understand that the norm for God's people actually has been exile. That, you know, and even today in the global east and global south, and we need to believe that he is fruitful and powerful in that and we shouldn't fear i'm not asking for exile but we need to be discipled into what the norm has been and currently is for god's people around the world uh, just kind of backtracking i guess for for a minute pastor davis and that is how has the internet contributed to this de-churching in other words all of these other religious expressions that maybe we'd have to wait for somebody to knock on our door to present something different now just a just a quick search on the internet, and we can be confronted with all kinds of different opportunities and criticisms or critiques of Christianity. I mean, um, that that has got to be playing some sort of a role. And you can go to church online. Yeah. So so I, I would I would back up and just ask the role of technology and technological advancements because te technology, um, you know, there are different arguments whether it's neutral or not. I'm gonna in a sim simplified version of the argument is it's how we use it. I mean, you, you, the Roman roads were made for the Roman war machine, but they also gave way to the spread of Christianity in a way that, humanly speaking, it never would have happened. The printing press, you know, there were it depends. You know, the the Bible it was used intended to be used in some ways, and Christians used it in others. Um, so when you get fast forward to where we are, the internet, it can, it's going to be used for good and evil. I mean, so there are absolutely evil things out there, uh, satanic worldviews. Mm -hmm. 
But clearly there's, uh, there's access to Bible teaching that has never before been known in the world. And, you know, the ability for you and I to be having this conversation right now and you to connect with your audience. So, so I, I don't want to vilify the internet, but just recognize that it is being used by both darkness and light. And the book is The Great Dechurching, Who's Leaving, Why Are They Going, and What Will It Take to Bring Them Back? And you talk about the missed generational handoff. What, what is that? Yeah, if you, you know, I think about growing up uh, here in Orlando, it was it was not uncommon, you know, to see three, four generations of Christians regularly sitting together, you know, and hmm. you see three generations now in most churches, and that feels kind of like an oddity uh, or a novelty. And so we really need, you can see statistically that the each, you know, the last three generations have gotten consecutively worse at handing their faith to the next generation. And so I think as, as there are implications here for parents, for grandparents who sometimes have to step in and do hard work, uh, faithful work for whatever reason, and sometimes in the absence of the parents or absence of that kind of influence, um, and then churches, you know, in our church, my my kids are 15, 13, 12, and 9. And so I, I'm we're thinking through how are we comprehensively discipling, coming alongside the parents and as a church discipling kids, and, and where what does it look like to send 18-year-olds out prepared to leave their parents' home? When have we as a church engaged gender identity, reading the Bible on your own, prayer, evangelism, you know, walking through the whole Bible how many times, just having a comprehensive plan and then faithful people in their lives. Because in our study, we saw a lot of people who, uh, people who said they did not feel like they could be honest with their doubt in the church. Well, how do we have kinds of relationships where they can be honest? Uh, they felt like they would be shamed for being honest about what they were doing in in their lives that they knew wasn't considered okay by the church. And they didn't feel like they were getting real and relevant teaching for the issues that they were engaging, uh, that they were facing. So there's that's a, there's a lot there, but generally speaking, this this is a problem. And that po- at points largely to the parents, to the parents being intentional. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I, I'm getting to the age where I have teenagers, and I and I see the pressures of travel, sports, and all these other things, and and we just have to make some hard decisions about priorities in our life because if we our kids aren't plugged into a church from say sixth or seventh grade to college, we shouldn't be surprised when they leave our home and don't start going. Yeah, good point. Well, any other exhortations you would give to church leaders or just those of us who are believers who who attend our our hope in this study isn't that we're going to fix the problem we're, we're not going to do that but we do want to start a national conversation we want to um we want others with expertise and experience to build in ways that we won't or can't uh, we do have a toolkit available at dechurching.com to help church leaders kind of do an assessment of um, you know the back door, the front door, sending out the equipped that we hope will be helpful. But um, largely, we want we want to start a conversation and want brothers and sisters in other areas to carry it on in uh, in faithful ways, so that we can we can really be faithful and fruitful in a truly generational kind of moment. So you you use that word moment. You believe this is a maybe you've said it already, but a crucial moment. And, and one of opportunity. It's 
It's both. Yeah, I don't know how it's going to go. I mean, it's going it's going to finish. I mean, even if everybody if everybody dechurches, there's nobody left to dechurch. <laughs> so we won't stay here. It could we could see great fruit and turn around. You know, nobody knows, but there un, there's no way for us to stay where we are right now. Well, my guest today on His People, Pastor Jim Davis, a co-author along with Michael Graham and Ryan Burge of The Great Dechurching, who's leaving? Why are they going and what will it take to bring them back? And uh, just to kind of recap there, Pastor Davis, you said, in, in the, at least in the case of the dechurched mainstream evangelicals, it's as simple as an invitation. A nudge is is all some of these people need. But there's an importance to know who we're talking about, who we're talking with, and what they need. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Florida Pastor Jim Davis, co-author of The Great Dechurching. Who's leaving? Why are they going? And what will it take? To bring them back. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Martin Bennett on the inspiring true story of the Japanese pilot who led the secret attack on Pearl Harbor. He didn't want to become a Christian. He wasn't seeking God. He was just seeking truth. And that's all you really need to find God. He was like, why? Why would you do this? What happens in people's lives? And he wanted to read the Bible just out of sheer curiosity. And I think we should encourage people to seek the truth. Jesus said, you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And the thing the truth sets you free from is lies. That's tomorrow at the same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.